Howdy, friends. You're listening to teaching from our college ministry here at FBC Bryan. We hope you enjoy this message from our college pastor, John Davison, as we journey through the book of 2 Timothy. If you have any questions, please reach out through social media, or you can visit our website at fbcbryan.org slash college. We hope you enjoy. All right, hey, let's address let's address the awkward. Uh, we have a an amp failing upstairs. It's actually borrowed because we had two amps completely blow up two weeks ago. Um, and so when the sound goes off, it's not anybody's fault, uh, except for during that second song. It might have been the Holy Spirit because it cut like at a really sick time when the drums were there, and then it came back on at a pretty ideal time. But uh, if it happens with my voice, you don't have to think anything weird. It's just part of those things. Also, somebody left their keys on a table. Are these souls? Whose are they? It's a Toyota. You want them? I'm not throwing them to you. Get up here. No, hey, I've seen him. I've seen him dance. You don't want that. They want you to dance, which is a weird thing for an audience to request. But he said, he said, do the bur- do a burpee. Listen, come to the Super Bowl. You're going to see him dance. All right, that's just, that's gonna happen. All right, Second Timothy, Second Timothy, chapter one. We're gonna jump right in here. Try to be as uh, as rapido as we can through this, um, since we uh, got a little bit of a late start, but we're good. So, 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 1, we, we got through the first part of it, actually the first word last week, and so it's, it's Paul, I'm going to read all that, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus, and then, it, then verse 2 says, to Timothy. So, I want to look at Paul and, and set us up. There's two different stories, really, that happen in the first seven verses, and a lot of times we leave out... Uh, what God is doing, even in the greeting and in Paul's thanksgiving, these are intentional. And the process that he's walking through is intentional. It sets us up to think a certain way for the rest of the letter. And so you, you have to look at this. Now, context, again, if you weren't with us last week, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. He's in a prison. He has already been sentenced to death. He's soon to die. And so in 1 Timothy, he gives them some instructions on, like, this is what church looks like. As a pastor, this is how you should function. This is elders and governance and, and just like how you do church. And then in 2 Timothy, he turns and, and he's thinking, okay, on my way off of this planet to the people that I really love, what should I say? What should I express to them? And, and he elevates, rightly so, the gospel and, and really how to function within it. And so when you're walking through this, keep that in mind. He's, he's pushing them into this space, but this is what he does. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus, if you know the story back in Acts chapter 9, when he's on this road and, and this something shows up and knocks him off and, and he's blinded for a second. And he says, who are you, Lord? And then scripture says in verse 5, it says, Jesus responded to him. Jesus responded to him. It is I, the one that you're persecuting. And so he gets to, to grab this title as apostle because it's given by those who have been who have seen Christ and have been commissioned by Christ to share the now gospel into places. And so you have the original like 12 minus one Judas guy, but you have that original 12 and you got Paul that's thrown into this mix, given this title apostle. It wasn't something that was, that he like earned. It wasn't a title or degree that he got. It was given to him by Jesus. And he was to be the apostle that proclaimed the gospel to the Gentiles over and over. We see that in his life. He's been sent to to proclaim this to the Gentiles. This is in 1 Timothy 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus 
our hope. That's his intro in 1 Timothy 1. In Galatians 1, 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ. Go down into verse 15 of Galatians 1. But when God, who from my birth set me apart and called me by his grace, like he was pleased to do so. He was set apart by God. Ephesians 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace. It's so important to keep that in mind. This is what, where Paul is coming from. This is where his apostleship comes from. So it's given by God, but it's given by God for a purpose. And that purpose, we said, was to go to the Gentiles. He was called according to, this is kind of cool how this connects. He was called according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. The second half of that verse, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. What is this, this promise of life that he's talking about? Well, we know Paul's situation. He's awaiting death. And so this promise of life isn't like a longer life. This promise of life is something greater than that. This promise of life is beyond like the time that he's been given on this planet. So when he looks at this promise of life, he goes, okay, it is this gospel. The promise of life is Jesus. It's wrapped up in Jesus. And the gospel gives life because the heart of the gospel is Jesus. And Jesus, John 14, 6, is the way, the truth, the life. He's the heart of it. So there's life in that. And 1 John 5, 12, he who has the Son has life. So he knows that this is life that's put out there. Paul also writes that Jesus had abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We see that later on in 2 Timothy. That's 1 verse 10. And so this theme in Paul's life that he brings life for those that interact with Jesus, it, it, it's kind of the entire story. And if, if you go to Genesis and you go, okay, well, before the fall, there was this command. He said, you can eat from every tree except for this one, the knowledge of good and evil. But there's another tree that's there that is kind of unique. All right, I can win the argument that there's going to be a lot of really cool trees in heaven. Uh, some of you have talked to me about this because we're not going to be eating animals anymore. And some of you may be sad about that because there will then be no more bacon. Except I think that bacon will probably grow on trees at that point. And so you just walk up to the bacon tree <laughs> Bless the Lord for that. I mean, like we're in heaven. That's got to be a thing. All right. There's the prime rib tree and the bacon tree. There's a lasagna tree, which is a pretty nasty tree to sit under, but it's a great tree to like go to and hang out with. All of those things are happening. But in that, like the abundance of these trees, there's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then there's the tree of life. And those that partake of the tree of life do what? Live forever, because when you take it to Revelation, that's what happens, says the tree of life. It, it produces fruit every month, and the people come yearly and partake of it. And so, like, your eternal being is the fact that you get to partake in the tree of life, and Jesus is setting this up, and this is his hope. This is what he's, he's talking about when you start just right there in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, for the sake of the promise of life. This is his hope. I'm near death, but my hope for life is so much bigger than this. And so he's called by God in a unique way. Okay, this wasn't, this dude was persecuting Christians. It wasn't like some, somebody rode up on the horse and was like, hey, you better repent and be baptized. You better turn and burn, clown. Like, I understand that you're going and you're like pursuing to kill Christians, but that's not the way. No, Jesus showed up blinded him, knocked him off of his donkey and said, hey, I'm the one that you're persecuting. You got to stop. In fact, I'm going to make you the voice to the Gentiles. And you, know, you want to know what's cool about that? You know when his voice stopped? 
Like when he died? No. It's echoing because we're reading it now. The, the fact that he called him to be a voice of the Gentiles has echoed for thousands of years. This bro has like an unbelievable calling in his life. God's fault right then. Called to, to proclaim the promise of life to all of the Gentiles. Timothy's is a little bit different. And so it, it turns right here and it goes from Paul. And then verse 2, to Timothy. My dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. We're going to keep going through verse 7. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did. When I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. It's a cool verse we're going to come back to and say. I, I recall verse 5, your sincere face, your, your face, uh, that too. You have a nice face. Um, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced it is in you also. Verse 6, therefore I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. We get to look kind of at Paul's life and, and how he was called, but then you look at Timothy, and there's, there's really three things that have shaped Timothy's life that you kind of need to hold on to, because some of you are are probably shaped by some of these things. Um, some of you are not maybe there yet, but then some of you are older and you need to begin to think about what it means to be a Paul to somebody. And what is it gonna take for you to mentor somebody? What is it gonna take for you to, to replicate your life into someone else's life so that it echoes uh, for much longer than your life can? And these three things are really kind of wrapped up in God's grace first. I mean, he starts with that to Timothy, my dearly loved son. He's, he gives him these three things, grace, mercy, and peace. But everything that follows from that is, is really the result of God's grace in his life. And, and God used these three means of grace to bring alive this, this gift in the servant Timothy that kind of echoed in his church. The first one is this, a personal mentor. Timothy just had a, had a, a guy, maybe more than that, that, that really just looked after him. It's, it's possible. We can draw a pretty reasonable, reasonable conclusion. This isn't 100% in scripture, but more than likely, Timothy met Christ while Paul was sharing the gospel. This is in Acts chapter 14 in Lystra, um, where his family was from. He, he probably, at least his mom and grandma, we can almost assume that that happened there. Maybe it was shared with him later. And then by the time that Paul goes back to Lystra the second time in Acts chapter 16, we, we see that Timothy is being spoken highly of. And so he goes and he shares the gospel there once, and then he goes back, and, and I'm just going to read this to you, Acts 16 you can write this in your Bible or, or flip over there if you're really quick. Verse 1, Paul went on to Derby and to Lystra where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, and his father was a Greek. This is Timothy's history. So his, his mom was a believer who was Jewish. His dad was, uh, was a Gentile who was Greek. Verse 2, the brothers and sisters of Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. And this is probably like, hey, he met Christ. Now he's growing really, really quick in his faith. Paul, you need to pay attention to this guy. So verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to go with him. This takes a turn. So he took him and circumcised him because the Jews who were in those places, since they knew that his father was a Greek, they're like, whoa, <laughs> that took a turn really, really fast. Right, that's not something that we do for our interns. It's not like a requirement that we have. <laughs> Be weird, all right, across the board. But he did this not to like to satisfy some pharisaical argument that all followers of, like, of, of God back in Israel's time had to be circumcised like it was commanded of them back then. He did this really to, to kind of honor the customs of his mom. 
says, hey, your mom's a Jew, and, and this is something that they did, and so, so this is going to be part of your calling. Like, at this point, you should know, like, Timothy's in. This bro's committed. The requirement in order to be one of Paul's disciples was pretty big at this point, and he, he begins to follow him. So he takes him and circumcises him because the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek, as they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders of Jerusalem for the people to observe. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. He, he has this mentor, his buy-in is pretty high, but he has this mentor that, that more than likely was a part of his salvation and is there and is early like growing up with him. In fact, we see more than anywhere else, any other person in Scripture, 14 moments in the, the back half of the New Testament where Paul and Timothy are ministering together in different places. 14 specific listings of them doing ministry, of Timothy learning from Paul and Paul being an example over him and allowing him to do ministry himself. It, it's all over the place. He, he's growing in a, in a really rapid place. In fact, Timothy, I mean, Paul really did consider Timothy like his own spiritual child. We see that in 1 Corinthians. We read it in Philippians uh, uh, 2.20 where he says, For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. You know his proven character. He's talking about Timothy because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. He, he considers him to be like a child, like, like how a dad would love a son. He extends this greeting to him. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. This grace that, that you need from God, this mercy because you are guilty under him in your sin, this peace because I know that you have fear and that you're restless. This greeting is of high value, and it, it helps point Timothy back to Jesus. And then in verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers day and night. And so we see that he has, a, he has an affection for him as a personal mentor. This is important. Like, he, he likes him. And so for those of you that are older, like, hey, I would love to be a mentor. you got to like people. In fact, you got to find a couple that you just really like, because being a mentor is difficult, and it's going to require a sacrifice of your time and of your mental ability and probably some of your finances, because for some reason, like a mentor-mentee relationships involve buying a lot of food. And, and this, is, this is how this played out. So he, he liked him, but then what did he also do? He prays for him. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did. And so when you look at this idea of being a personal mentor, it continues Remembering your tears, this affection, last time they were together, some sort of tears, it was probably at the end of 1 Timothy or at the end of that season when they knew he was going to prison and he was probably going to die. And they had this tearful moment in verse 4, and it says, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. He enjoyed being around him. He loved him. He's praying for him. He's caring for him. That's the, the big part of being a mentor. And as students within a college ministry, one of our goals over and over again is to allow you to do ministry. Some of you have, like all of you, have an exceptional gift that's been given by God to you. Sometimes it's, it's displayed in pretty radical ways. You're up on stage, you're helping to lead worship, you're helping to lead Bible studies, you're cooking food, bless the Lord for you guys. You're, you're cleaning up, you're, there's a thousand places you're serving your kids, you're serving youth, you're greeting at doors, you're ushering in here. There's all kinds of stuff that you can be doing. And those gifts come alive. In you. When, you. when you look at this, all of those, all those gifts that God has been given or that God has given to you are for his glory, one, and then for the joy of other people. And as a mentor, you are called. 
upperclassmen to replicate that by serving other people. Putting that on display and allowing other people to follow you, that's the first thing as a mentor that he's calling him to. The next thing from being a mentor we got to look at, he had this really cool thing, a godly mother, mom jokes aside, those of you in the dog's chat. Verse 5, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother, Lois, your mother, Eunice, and now I'm convinced is in you also. Like this is something, and I, and I know we're, we're probably 50-50 in the room, if I'm guessing it may be even, even worse than that, that you either come from a, a really solid family that really loves Jesus, who you had a mom and a dad who, who lived out their faith in front of you, and, and it echoed into your life, and now you're just mimicking what they did. Like that's the most beautiful of testimonies. I want, I want you to say that because a lot of times, those of you that had like the, what we're going to call like the perfect upbringing, you know, in, in, as far as church goes, you're like, my testimony is really not that cool. No, your testimony displays God's grace in an unbelievable way. It's, it's beautiful and you have to embrace that and you got to praise God for what he did in your life and run with it and share it with people. The other side of that is people that like your family super jacked up and you're kind of embarrassed by it. I, I walked in that for a long time. I didn't even want to share the story of my parents, and I was just embarrassed of who they were. I grew up in a really, really small town. I've talked to some of you about that. I graduated with 44 people. You know, like we, everybody knew everybody. You knew their dog's name. You know, this was before the time of like security systems, but if they had security systems in the house, we would know it, so we could just go in there and get food if we wanted. That's, that's where, we, I live in a town that the grocery store had a, had a tab. You know what that means? I could walk in there and I could be like, hey, put it on my tab. Get whatever I wanted to. It's dangerous, all right? Small town credit card is all it was. And if you couldn't pay it off, you had to go work for Mr. Davis, all right? Cleaning up stuff. He's like, I'll find you. I, I, I lived in a town where there was a guy who owned a taco store. It was a taco stand, and he owned the Dairy Queen together. And he really loved basketball. And he said, hey, for every three-pointer you guys make, you can choose. You get a free blizzard or a free taco. It was awesome. And then we, we were tiny, so we shot a lot of threes. And instead of like, we'd make a three, instead of pointing at Jesus, we'd point at him. His name was Andy. Was like, Andy, I'm coming. It got to the point where he eventually just let us go behind the counter at Dairy Queen and make our own blizzards. 15 years old, back then. Turn it over. <laughs> just mixing it up. That's what we did. That's the town. There was, there was no secrets in that space. And I was embarrassed in that space because I had a mom that was so far from Jesus, addicted to drugs and alcohol and just not pursuing Christ whatsoever. And, and the Lord rescued me when I was nine years old. And so I'm growing up in that. I'm playing basketball with guys that would go to my house on the weekends and party because my mom would buy them alcohol. And I'd go to my youth pastor's house and play skipbo. It's the life I lived. I was super embarrassed by that. And, and the Lord has, has slowly redeemed that in me and made it a part of an incredible story. And so for those of you that had like the godly parents and the godly mom that, that led you into that, praise God for that. And, and for the rest of you that maybe are on this other side that needed like Jesus to show up and knock you off of something to get your attention because your parents were far away from Jesus, praise God for that. But, but you got to look at this as an example because it's in scripture and it's, it, it should be a motivator for you. If you didn't have it, become it. And if you did have it, replicate it. Okay, if you had those parents that were like that to you, repeat that. Let that legacy continue. And if you didn't, strive to become it. With the Lord's help, you can do that. And, and pray, like, Lord, give me sane kids. Give me kids that for some reason just naturally love you and obey. Pray like you were looking for a big prayer. Begin to pray that one. 
asking the Lord for that, and he'll, he'll rescue you in those spaces. Like, he uses this. But Timothy has a personal mentor in his life. He has a godly mother. We're just going to say godly family. And so as you're growing up into that, you can be this. Like, the greatest joy that you can have, I know this as a dad, is to see your kids follow Jesus. Now, it's not something, you're like, your kids basically were forced to do that. I mean, I work at a church, and I've always worked at a church, and, and so they had to go to church, all right? And I'm going to continue to force them to go to church. I'm not ashamed of that. Um, but when they made their faith personal, I went, wow, it wasn't me, that's God rescuing them. They got to see it lived out. Like We modeled it in front of them. We opened the Bible up to them. We were praying for them, and then it just clicked. It's worth it. Be that. Grow to be a mentor or find one. Make it a goal to be this, a godly parent one day, and be thankful. Some of you have never like blessed your parents by calling them and going, hey, mom, dad, thank you just for like raising me in church. Like, thank you for being an example of Jesus. It's not easy, and you should bless them with that. And for those of you that are on the other side, like me, that didn't have that, you had somebody. I had a youth pastor that did that. I had Sunday school teachers that did that. I had friends that drugged me along. Thank them for that. They were that example. Be that And then the last one that we see in Timothy's life, verse 6. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. He has a mentor. He has godly family, a godly mother. And then he has the spirit, and he has gifts. And as followers of Christ, those of you in this room, you have the spirit, and you have gifts. And this is the most significant thing that has shaped Timothy to be the leader that he has become um, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life, because of the gifts that has been given to him. And, And Paul says, hey, I need to remind you to rekindle or to set ablaze the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of hands. I love this because the surrounding context of 1 Timothy and really 2 Timothy, um, does not describe Timothy as like a really strong guy, spiritually. He's not really a spiritually like mature, he, they basically call him spiritually weak. First Timothy 5.23, if you just flip back over one page, it says, don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because your stomach and your frequent illness. Timothy, you're, you're sick a lot. I, I need you to be healthy, but for some reason, you're sick a lot. Verse 7, I mean, he straight up calls him out, for God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. We talked about this in Bible study meeting. Why do you say that to somebody? You say that to somebody because they're fearful, because they're walking in it. You're like, hey, God didn't give you that spirit. Quit walking in it. So, so not only is he like physically sick, often where Paul has to call him out in the Bible, by the way, hey, bro, you're weak. You should drink a little wine with your water. He also calls him fearful in the Bible. And then he continues, he, he, he goes on to there, and of course we know First, uh, First Timothy 4.12, he's also young, so he's a young guy who's sick, who is fearful in the calling that he has. And Paul was like, hey, you have a gift, know this, God delights in using the weak and the ordinary in order to demonstrate how powerful he is. Like, that's why it says he's, he stores up his treasure in jars of clay, what you are. You know what jars of clay are? Easily broken, fragile, prone to leak. And that's what he stores his treasure in. That's us. And so even in Timothy, we get to see this. It's like timid, 
fearful, young, sickly guy, God uses in an unbelievably powerful way because of his spirit and because of his gifts. And, and Paul knows this. There's a reality of, of God's power in his life, and he's going, hey, I've seen it in you, and so I want to encourage you to keep that thing going. I, want to, I need you to rekindle it. I need you to set it ablaze. We don't know for certain what the gift is that he's been given. I mean, he's the leader of a church, and so I think he probably has a teaching, a pastoral, and shepherding gift, and, and things like that. But what Paul is really saying here is like, hey, I need you to lean into Christ. I need you to lean into the gospel so the gifts that he's, been give, the gifts that he's given to you can come alive. Okay, and so for some of you in this room, you're like, uh, I want to serve the church. I get these texts a lot. Hey, John, I, I love what's happening. I'd really love to serve. And my response is like, what are you passionate about? I don't know. And some of you just spit it out like really, really fast. Like you're passionate about that, 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 that. And it's like, okay, slow down. And you pick one. It's not really true. But, but what, I, what I love about that is the recognition that there are gifts that have been given to you and God is calling you to use those. And everywhere in scripture, that gift that has been given to you or those multiple gifts that has been given to you are not for your good. It just echoes. They are for the good of other people. They are to be put on display so that others see that and respond in worship to God. That is the gift that you've been given by the Spirit that you're called to walk in. And Paul's like, hey, you have this. I need you to keep practicing this. I need you to rekindle this. I want to remind you of this gift so that you will continue to grow in it. And so you will see God continue to equip you to fulfill the ministry that he's called you to. Because hear this, I'm a pastor, okay? I have a calling by God that I believe that he set me apart to do what I'm doing. You know what the cool part about being a pastor is? Is I get to lead a bunch of people who are ministers. You have a ministry. You're called into the ministry. And so what, wherever, whatever job God is calling you to, whatever life he's calling you to, whatever place he's calling you to, he is setting up for you a ministry in which you will practice your gifts in front of people and reflect the gospel so that hopefully people respond to that. You're just ministers in this room if you will practice the gifts that God has given you. And so uh, um, there is no, there's no laziness in the kingdom. Okay, there's rest, seasons of rest, but God isn't calling you to be lazy. He's calling you to work. In the same way, in the same way that we see that Paul was like set apart by God as an apostle in, a, in an unbelievably like radical way, what did he do after he was set apart? The bro disappeared for 13 years to grow in his ability to be able to do ministry. He was developing the gifts that God has given him in order that he could do that. Now, I'm not telling you to disappear for that long. Paul had a little bit of therapy to go through. He's been murdering Christians for a while, okay? And had some recovery. But God has, has given you a ministry, and he's calling you to, to fan it into flame and to grow in it. And if you're just sitting in church and doing nothing, you are spiritually lazy. And God is going, I've given you a gift for my glory, don't waste it. And in this season of being a college student, and most of you single, or even if you're in like a serious dating relationship, God still sees that as your brother or your sister, so be careful. Um, but also, you're, you're not combined until you're one at that point, and so you kind of have this freedom to go and to do and to serve and to give of your time and to travel to other nations and to, to pour out your life for the gospel until God puts you into that next phase. Do that. Sometimes it's going to be just like messy, and you're going to awkwardly stumble through it. Do that for his glory and see how he grows that in you. Because the gifting of the Spirit not only encourages you to respond and worship, 
but it also inspires you just to really, really work hard. And the more that you pursue Christ through his word and in community and in prayer and you're growing in that, you're going to be motivated to do things. You're going to be motivated to work. When people ask me that question, hey, John, where can I serve? I can instantly assume one of two things. You've been spending time with Christ and he's wrecking your world and you know that you just need to pour out whatever's inside of you in some way for other people or you're really, really playing the game and you just want to fit in. And hear me, I don't care. Because those of you that are really, really passionate about it, I want to see you grow in that for God's glory. And for those of you that are just kind of like playing the game, Paul says in Philippians 1, he still gets glory for it, so keep playing it. Because eventually, you're going to grow in godliness anyway. And so for those of you that want to serve, like we're going to look for fruit in your life. And I mean, if you're addicted to drugs, we, we really don't want you greeting outside or definitely not with kids. Um, but as you're just figuring this out, in really, really great ways and for really, really selfish motives. God's big enough to use you in all those spaces. And so as you're, you're navigating this and going, God, how do you want to use me? Even, even if I, I don't know everything yet, just lean in and, and try to figure it out and go, this is what I'm passionate about. Do I have a space? And we probably do, if you'll ask the question. Gifting of the Spirit is not just for your worship, but it's also for you to do the work of that. Jim Elliott's missionary murdered in Ecuador trying to share the gospel wrote this prayer thankfully is captured he says this God I pray thee light these idle sticks in my life and may I burn for thee referencing what's happening here in 2 Timothy that we're fanning into flame this gift would you light these idle sticks of my life and may I burn for thee Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. This gets me, because we know what happened in his life. The last part of this prayer, he says, I seek not a long life, but a full one, like you, Lord Jesus. So this guy was like, my God's really, really good. He's not really safe. I'm going to go into this jungle and I'm going to share the gospel with people who've never heard it, and I don't know what's going to happen while well, those people ran a spear through his chest. And his prayer, I seek not a long life, but a full one. Would you light these idle sticks in my life so that I could burn for you? What a wild prayer. And if you would begin to pray this in college and see God use you in this space and then multiply it and you grow in your gifts early on and then you become more and more powerful for the kingdom, like what would that do to eternity? It's worth it to lean into that, to be like, hey, I need to find a personal mentor. I need to be thankful for the people in my life, including my family that have led me to Jesus. And I'm going to continue to chase after the Spirit. I'm going to lean into the gifts that he's given me so that I can grow in my knowledge and understanding of the gospel and my ability to proclaim it in places that only I can. It's worth that. And it works both ways. You are called to do that, to chase after these things, and you're called to be those things to others. And so you got to be thinking on both sides of that. Are you using your gifts passionately? What do you need to be developing in your gifts to, to grow more and more so that they can be used for God's glory? How are you pouring into other people? Because that, that's where he, where he ends when he's talking about this maintained discipline. And we're going to close, band, just, just get ready, let your heads up. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. So whatever it is that you're walking in that you're fearful of, that maybe that you're scared of, here's the response. The response is action. 
Okay? Now, this isn't things that you do to earn your salvation. We're already past this point. You're saved. These are things that you do as you experience God. It's going to lead you to things. I've talked about this over and over. Hopefully, you've caught this. If your purpose for this life was just to meet Jesus, then I would have been trained that at your baptism, I hold you underwater until you die. You're like, that's mean. But understand what we're saying there. If it was just to meet Jesus, hear me, Paul says it, heaven is so much better than here. But you've been left here with a purpose, and that purpose involves you doing things. And so whatever fear that you have, he says here, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear and whatever it is, but one of power, which is an action. It brings about movement, strength, one of love. Love isn't a feeling in scripture anywhere. Love is always an action and one of sound judgment, using your mind in ways that bring about the glory of God. That's what he's saying. So as you, as you walk in this, you know, you know, understand that God is calling you to action. He's going, hey, whatever fear that you're walking in, you fight that with God's promises. How do you do that? You know God's promises. And so all of this is rooted in Scripture. But as you grow to understand God more and more and you become more and more sensitive to His Spirit leading you, then you become a reflection of that gospel in the world that he's placed you in and it causes you to move. Now hear me, this isn't a commercial for me to get a bunch of people to serve. Um, When a bunch of you sign up to serve, it actually makes our lives a little bit more difficult um, in some spaces, but I want you to do that. I long for you to do that. Find your space. And if you would go, hey, I'm passionate about this thing that the church doesn't even do and so I give up, quit that. Come to me and go, hey, I'm passionate about this thing. And what if God births that in you and it comes alive in our church in an unbelievably powerful way? What if you're like, I'm not equipped for that. I'm not equipped for this. They're not equipped for that. That, that, That's not the criteria. It's just your availability to be used by God in that. And so I long to see students rise up into their giftedness to be used by God to make an impact and not waste the season that God has. Let me pray and then we'll worship in response. God, we, we thank you for your promises. Like we thank you that you, you promised to be with us. And we thank you that you promised to protect us. We thank you that you promised to use us to bring people to you. We thank you that you, you say that even greater things will be done through them. We thank you that for some strange reason as we open up our mouth to people like you stir within them a response to the gospel. We get to see dead people come alive. We thank you that you use our giftedness in, in broken spaces to bring life. We thank you that we can minister to kids and to students and to, to adults, even to senior adults with our giftedness. I thank you that in our brokenness, we saw it in Paul, like the most ill-equipped person to be a voice to the Gentiles. And in redemption, you brought him to yourself and you used him, you're continuing to use him. And so I look around, I look around the room and I, and I see a couple hundred students that have been gifted and called. And some of them using their gifts in unbelievably beautiful ways. And some of them just trying to figure out what that even looks like. Would you give them a unique boldness? Would, would that verse that we're gonna memorize, that you haven't give us, given us a spirit of fear but one of power. You've given us an authority, given us a, a strength to walk in. You've given us sound mind, sound judgment. 
You've given us a unique strength. And, and all of those things, not for us, not so that our name would rise up, but for you and for your glory. And so that, would that be the thing that stirs us up in response? Like, would we become gospel-centered, collegiate leaders that passionately chase Jesus that other people follow? And it starts with us. May your spirit stir that in us in response. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys stand up as we respond to worship.